This is Thomas Vail, Chair of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at UCSF. You are listening to Interview with the Surgeon with the Surgeon Agent. On this episode of Interview with the Surgeon, we welcome Dr. Thomas Vail, Chair of Orthopedic Surgery at UCSF. Under his leadership, the department has become an international leader in patient care, research, education, and global health. He holds multiple patents for orthopedic devices and has served as an industry consultant, participate on scientific advisory boards. Dr. Vail has published extensively on hip and knee surgery, surgical training and innovation, and health economics and patient care. He is past president of the Knee Society, American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, and Eastern Orthopedic Association, and past vice president of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery. At UCSF, he has held multiple leadership positions, including medical director of the UCSF Orthopedic Institute, which he conceptualized and helped build. He has also served as co-chair of the UCSF Health Finance Committee, chair of the Funds Flow Committee, and a member of the Executive Council. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we welcome Dr. Thomas Vail, chair of orthopedic surgery at UCSF. Doc, how are we doing today? Doing well, Matthew. Thanks for having me on your, your cast. Thanks for being here. So let's just jump right into it. What were your goals and aspirations during your residency and how did those changed throughout your fellowship? You know, when I uh, decided to go to an orthopedic residency, it was really uh, pursuing uh, my passion that I think was derived from uh, being in engineering school as an undergraduate. Uh, I was always attracted to the, you know, math and science. And then uh, that, that led me to an engineering curriculum. And when I was in engineering, I sort of discovered that the most interesting part of math and science was the uh, application to uh, the, the human experience, uh, the ability to um, improve the human experience through engineering. That was most interesting. And, uh, you know, most of your listeners won't, won't remember the, the $6 million man, but uh, Lee Majors was the star of that show way back when. And, uh, it, sort of the premise was that um, he was an artificial, uh, you know, sort of scientifically created uh, human being in, in certain aspects. And that kind of caught my imagination. Could you uh, use engineering to uh, improve the human ability to uh, improve the quality of life? And ultimately uh, led me to medical school where I uh, was attracted to things where those uh, thoughts would apply, maybe cardiology, uh, but ultimately orthopedics was the one where it was sort of a, a natural fit. And uh, so uh, you think about all of the, the devices and the um, technology that's associated with the orthopedic surgery, uh, it just makes sense. And, and that's, that's how I got uh, interested in orthopedics and engaged. I I chose an orthopedic residency where I would have a broad exposure to a variety of subspecialties in orthopedics. That was uh, Duke University with uh, Jim Urbanic as the department chair back then. He was a great mentor and uh, Leonard Goldner was his predecessor and uh, Lennox Baker. They were all still in the community and part of the program. And um, so during residency to answer your question about how does, how does your focus change during residency, you're exposed to all the different subspecialties and you begin to develop interests. And, uh, you know, I had uh, an interest in athletics, so naturally I was interested in sports medicine, but my engineering background sort of led me to uh, joint replacement. And uh, that, that was a technology that was, you know, developed in the late 60s, early 70s, was evolving quickly um, and involved uh, 
interesting surgical procedures and uh, application of devices and uh, improvement of devices for uh, use in uh, in uh, surgeries and, and uh, treating arthritis. So I found it to be a fascinating uh, subspecialty area to uh, get involved in. We had, um, I had some good mentors in the residency training program, Donald McCollum, who was the section chief back then, and John Callahan, who uh, was a, a leader and still is a leader in, in arthroplasty, was on the faculty then. So I had, had an opportunity to really dive into the field. Pursued my fellowship, uh, and uh, the fellowship training was a unique one. I, my fellowship was really uh, a multinational fellowship. It was sponsored by Duke, uh, and I had the opportunity to visit a, a number of locations and uh, in the United States and, and some in Europe and kind of understand what their focus was, how they were accomplishing their uh, the care of patients and the improvement of the field. and and then bring, bring that back with me into my practice. You know, ultimately in choosing a practice, what I really wanted was uh, the ability to be, have responsibility early, to see uh, challenging cases, to be in a position to be uh, busy right away. And uh, that's why uh, I chose an academic center, decided to stay at Duke for that uh, experience. And uh, so, I was busy and challenged from day one. I had good resources around me, um, good teammates to work with. And I think those are key elements of a, of a first job, that you have good support, that there's alignment between what you're being asked to do, what's expected of you, and what you want to do. Uh, you're, you're best at what you like to do. Uh, you're best when there's alignment of those uh, activities and expectations so uh, that was a that was a good good transition for me so what really was that mindset if you can take us through when you're going through your fellowship when you're looking at the job market what type of things are going through your mind at that time yeah well you're you're kind of envisioning yourself in your new role um and uh what would it be like and who would you be working with? Um, where would your patients come from? What resources uh, would you have? Um, and I looked at a variety of practices. I looked at uh, some private practice situations. I look at, looked at some other uh, academic uh, situations and uh, ultimately applying the same lens. That is, could I be busy quickly? Would I be challenged? You know, would I be at, at the end of a pipeline where, um, you know, people who really needed help would, uh, would come and, and seek advice. That's, that's the position that I wanted to be in. And that, that was the measure. So to me, the line between, you know, academic and um, private practice was uh, in, 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 not so important as, you know, what would I be doing? Uh, you know, I, I guess it's important to mention in an academic practice, you have an opportunity to, um, to sort of change the trajectory of the field a little bit through research, uh, if you're lucky and you're, and you're diligent about it. And so I wanted to be in a position where I might have the opportunity to, uh, you know, assess what I was doing, look at outcomes, do clinical research, uh, be, uh, and exposed to basic science investigators who were doing things that might be applicable to the clinical field that I was in. So 
I think that's another important aspect of choosing an academic practice ultimately was the the ability to be part of a team of investigators who are doing uh, clinical and basic research. And, and that's been true uh, throughout my practice, that that idea of being part of a, of a team uh, really expands and leverages what you can accomplish in your career. And um, just, I think that was a, an important motivation, even from the beginning. Can you briefly take us through your journey along the process of how you became chair? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'll, I'll say at the outset, you know, it wasn't my goal ultimately to be a chair. You know, there are good chair jobs and bad chair jobs. And uh, what I was seeking uh, really was uh, opportunity, the, uh, the ability to have an impact, you know, to be in a platform where uh, I could have an impact on my field, whether it was through, um, you know, training of residents and fellows or you know, investigation or simply and importantly, the, the care of patients. And, and I've always enjoyed that, that all aspects of it and particularly the care of patients. So, you know, I advanced through uh, my career at Duke, gained more experience, uh, gained more responsibility, you know, became medical director for the musculoskeletal uh, medicine program at, at Duke. Uh, and then ultimately the uh, section chief for adult reconstruction, which is basically hip and knee surgery. And I was happy. I was in a good position uh, doing what I wanted to do. Um, and so that's a powerful position to be in when somebody comes along and says, well, hey, would you look at this? Would you look at something else? Um, and uh, so making a move didn't mean that I was uh, trying to leave something undesirable or that I was unhappy, I would be making a move for the positive reasons, for the right reasons, the ability to do something different, to have a, a larger impact. Uh, in the case of UCSF, it was the, the opportunity to create an orthopedic institute. Uh, this, this idea that you would have actually a building, but it's really a program that um, brings together all aspects of musculoskeletal care, kind of regardless of the academic complexity in the background. So I'm talking about orthopedic surgeons, physical therapists, people doing imaging, uh, anesthesiologists, um, plastic surgeons, neurosurgeons, anybody uh, providing musculoskeletal care, put, it, put them in the same setting and, and make it easy for patients. And uh, that was the vision that I had that I wanted to pursue. And uh, UCSF was um, willing to take that journey with me, take that risk. Um, I had the opportunity to develop a, and expand a, a, an already a successful research program. Um, so I felt it was a, a, a great opportunity and that's really what I was looking for was opportunity. You know, in, in life, I think you, you can't expect people to hand you things. It's not, you don't, you can't feel entitled but you can look for opportunity where you, you can be successful and ask yourself, is this the platform where I could do the things that I'm passionate about? And so that's how I became a chair. I didn't start out thinking I want to be a chair. I, I started out thinking, okay, well, here are the things that I'm passionate about, the things that I want to do, and how am I going to best get that done in an environment where uh, I would be happy doing it. And I'll say San Francisco is a pretty good place to, you know, be doing the work. And uh, so it's been a great, uh, great tenure here. I've enjoyed it very much, even to the present day. 
What would you say were some of the keys of your success that shaped your early career as you climbed to the top of the industry? Keys to success. I think I mentioned uh, being part of highly successful teams. You know, I, I was, uh, uh, I had the opportunity to work with some great investigators, scientists, uh, people like Tony Sieber, Farsh Gilak, Lori Seton, uh, on the, on the science side who, um, I learned from, I learned a great deal from, uh, about how to do studies, about how to pursue, uh, you know, basic investigation of, uh, you know, the important areas that were affecting patients that I was taking care of. Um, I had really good clinical mentors. I mentioned, uh, Jim Urbanic, uh, John Callahan, uh, some great partners, people like Ed Lilly, Mike Bolognese that came along after I did and when we, when we, who, with whom I worked. Um, so I would say keys to success are the ability to, to work in highly effective teams, to um, earn respect that way through giving respect to other people, uh, creating alignment between the things that you're doing and the things that you're interested in and good at. Uh, I think that was uh, really important putting yourself in a position uh, to say yes to things. Um, I, I've made this point to my own residents. Um, we're busy. It's, it's easy to get overwhelmed and um, you have to be able to draw the line at some point because saying no is the right thing, but because you need to have some bandwidth to say yes. When somebody comes along and says, Hey, uh, are you interested in this project or would you help me with, this that you hadn't thought of before and it might lead you in a direction uh, that opens many other opportunities. So you, you have to re retain the capacity to say yes in your career. And, I, and that's, that's led to some really interesting things for me, whether it's um, uh, clinical um, skill sets, uh, new ways to take care of patients or uh, developing devices or helping uh, launch companies. These kinds of things stem from the ability to say yes and work with other people who have ideas or can help you better pursue your own ideas. So what advice do you have for the graduating residents and fellows that are entering the professional job market for the first time? Yeah, well, clearly, uh, as you and I were discussing earlier, they, they're entering the job market in a very odd time and i think they they need to first of all recognize that you know, this this experience right now with the pandemic isn't isn't going to be sustained it's not representative of uh you know the, the future but it does color the immediate first steps and what happens and, and you know it's access to jobs because many places aren't hiring right now uh, and i think that's a temporary phenomenon um they, they will be hiring again so maybe there's some interim steps that just by practical nature will occur if somebody doesn't find the job in the setting that they're ultimately going to be happy with for their career. It may, may change over time. So I would say right now, just recognizing the uniqueness of the circumstances, you have to be malleable. Uh, you have to be resilient. Uh, I think there may be some, some delays that occur in finding exactly the right job, but ultimately, I would say to them, apply the same 
standard, the same perspective uh, that I had outlined that worked for me, recognizing that everybody's different. I'm not saying that that's the only formula, but look for alignment, look for a job that is in align, alignment with your skill set, where you, the expectations from that employer are aligned with what you want to do. Uh, and I know somebody once told me that, you know, there aren't just a million great jobs that, where you walk in the front door and it's a great job. But there are a lot of opportunities out there, situations that you can make great. And that's what I would be looking for is a situation that you can make great. And that, that often means it's not the job that has the, the huge upfront bonus. Uh, it's, it's not the job with the highest starting salary. Uh, it is the job that has the, the best long-term viability. Uh, that's, that's what I would be looking for. Opportunity is the key. Uh, you don't want to accept something and trade off the ability to grow or the sense of opportunity, because I think that'll get very tired very quickly. Now on that thought process regarding a lot of the annual conferences now all being done virtual and this graduating class will not have the opportunity to rub shoulders with folks like yourself at these conferences what advice do you have for them regarding their outreach process as they continue to try to network? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Orthopedics is unique in that, um, and I think medicine is that way, generally speaking. If you ask for help, if you reach out to people, they will respond. You know, I found just as an example, um, you know, I've been, I've had the opportunity to visit many places in the world um, and, and, and you're, you're welcome as a, as a member of the profession, um, you know, without, without question. Now, right now that's, that's a little bit different. So it's not, you're not going to be physically present, um, in every place you want to gain access to. But, um, if you're interested in a, a location, uh, reach out to the, the leadership in that area. Uh, reach out to somebody in a private practice and say and ask them what's going on. Um, you don't have to um, reach out with the intent of, of gaining a commitment right away. Reach out with the intent of asking for advice. People are very willing to give advice uh, to particularly to new grads, particularly to people who were are in the situation that they were once in. So don't don't be afraid to ask for advice, and it doesn't have to be connected to a commitment so it's not uncomfortable it's okay to reach out and say hey look i'm interested in your community what uh you know i have an, an academic aspiration you know what are the, what's the situation at, at your place do you know uh can you give me advice about other circumstances that i might take a look at so i would say don't be afraid to uh, seek advice and ask people for help now as the former president of the aahks what type of involvement do you still have with the different societies and how are these societies helping prepare the next generation of surgeons? Yeah, I, I think to me that involvement in subspecialty societies has been among the most rewarding activities. Uh, you know, and it's rewarding because uh, those, those are the cohort, you know, within those organizations, the cohort of people that are most uh, similar that have, uh, similar needs, aspirations, interests. Um, and uh, so that those organizations have been really important. I think there's also been a recognition 
uh, among those organizations. For me, it's the Hip Society, the Knee Society, the AHKS, as you mentioned, uh, a recognition of uh, uh, attracting young, young people, attracting residents, getting them engaged, getting, getting them exposed to what we do, um, giving them advice on, on how to get started. And, and uh, particularly AHKS has really good programs for residents and fellows uh, to give them exposure. Um, and uh, so I would encourage residents and fellows to take advantage of that because, um, again, even though it's maybe virtual this year, it won't be virtual next year and uh, it's going to change. And that's, that's a great way to access uh, the, the experts from around the country and uh, get, get advice and learn things. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Interview with the Surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.